Thanks for checking out this message from Coastal Community Church. We hope it's helpful and encouraging. Hey everybody, uh, good morning and welcome to Coastal Community Church. Uh, as Scott said, I am Pastor Chris, and uh, it is great to be here today and great to be here with you. Uh, thank you for joining us both in person, and uh, thank you for tuning in and uh, being a part of our service online. Uh, today, we are in week two of another one of our favorite series over the summer uh, called, uh, appropriately enough, Summer Reading, because leaders are what? Readers, readers, right, and each week, so we're using a different book uh, as a springboard uh, to dig into God's Word. And so today's book uh, is a great one. Uh, it's called U-Turns by Dr. Tony Evans. Uh, Dr. Evans is the founder and lead pastor of Oak Cliff Bible Fellowship in Dallas, Texas. Uh, he's a great pastor, communicator, author, and um, this book, U-Turns, um, is all about reversing the negative consequences in our lives uh, from some of the bad choices that we've made. Raise your hand if you ever made a bad choice, okay? Pretty much all of us. Um, if you didn't raise your hand, you're just a liar, and so there, that's a whole nother, whole nother issue. Um, yeah, we've all made bad choices. And the foundation for that reversal, okay, uh, as you'll see from his book, if you choose to read it, I hope you do, uh, is to align our lives with the Word of God. Uh, really, this book is all about repentance. Uh, it's about turning your life around and, and uh, taking steps toward Christ, but recognizing that there are some consequences that we gotta deal with as a result of some of our bad choices. It's a great book, and again, I would highly recommend it. Now, as I was reading through the book, uh, all of the imagery and the language that Evans uses, like U-turns and reversal and signposts, kind of reminded me that the Christian life really is a journey, right? I mean, kind of a journey on this great, you know, highway of life. And so today, we're going to go on a road trip. A road trip. Anybody remember, you know, college or uh, high school days uh, that, that you went, uh, maybe as a young adult, and you went on a, on a road trip, right? You went on a road trip. Now, road trip is a little bit different um, than just a vacation, right? A road trip is, you know, where you kind of piled into a car, you know, with some friends, uh, with, with just really... Nothing more than like a vague destination in mind, uh, but not much else in terms of things like preparation or direction. And you just kind of took off, right, with some friends. Now, road trips represent opportunities, right? New adventures uh, so, and something else that everybody eventually faces on a road trip, a crossroad, a crossroad. So think about it, you know, in very practical terms, what is a crossroad? It's an, an intersection, right? It's a choice. North, south, east, west, left, right. You know, a decision has got to be made. Now, the reality is that decision will ultimately affect, in, in a great way, the destination of the travelers. Now, in the journey of life, you know, on the great road trip of life, everyone faces a crossroad. If you're taking notes, write that down. Everybody faces a crossroad. We all got decisions to make, choices that we have to make that will ultimately affect the destination 
of your journey. Okay, no matter your age, no matter how old you are, no matter what stage of life you find yourself in, what you do for a living, where you live, we all have the freedom to make choices. Now, admittedly, some of those choices or decisions, you know, are, are pretty simple, right? I mean, there really are, I would just call these no-brainer choices. You know, will I brush my teeth or will I let them rot, okay? That should be a no-brainer, right? Will I deposit my check in the bank this week or will I put on a mask and rob it, okay? That, again, no-brainer. They don't require much thought. You, you kind of take them for granted, these decisions, as kind of, I would call them accepted norms of everyday life. Now, there are other decisions that really don't make much of a difference. They're not so much no-brainers, maybe, as they're just kind of a, a coin toss, okay? Now, I know some of these might not be a coin toss for some of you, but, like, here's what I mean. You know, like, Coke or Pepsi, okay? McDonald's or Chick-fil-A? Carolina or Clemson? Okay, now, that last one, that's, uh, that's life or death, okay? But, and then, there are some, the real crossroads of life. Okay, decisions that really do matter, that aren't just no-brainers that, that, that you have to really think through and that, that cannot be left up to just a, a coin toss and that have def definite consequences in your life. And one of the things that Dr. Evans talks about uh, in this book is he reminds us that, you know, as a believer, you do have the freedom of choice to make those decisions. However, you're not free from the consequences of the decisions that you make, okay? Am I gonna go God's way, God's path, God's direction, or am I gonna go the way of the world? Will I make decisions based on what God says in his word or based on what is acceptable and normal in the world in which you live? In the areas of, you know, when it comes to relationships, how I treat my fellow man, how I manage my money, how I express my sexuality, who I will date, who I will marry, what do I do with my time, my talents and abilities, how I raise my children. Again, am I gonna go God's way as revealed in, in, in his word or am I gonna go the way of the world? So, what will you do when you hit those consequences? Those, those crossroads. Now, if, if, I think if we're honest, I think we'd all say that, you know, the world's path, it's a lot easier. It is just to go that way. It's alluring, it's seductive. It's easy to walk that way. Now, I know that there are a lot of people, especially, you know, I would say in the culture in which we live here, kind of in, in the deep south where, you know, religion is a part of the culture, there are a lot of people who say that they want to be characterized as though they go God's way. You know, that they, they want to be identified as setting the course of their life as going God's way. But because of maybe ease or convenience or maybe sometimes even pressure, for all practical purposes, they don't go God's way, they go the world's way. And then in all these areas of their life, they tend to suffer the consequences and wonder why. Well, that's why this, this concept of, of crossroads is so important, because we all face them. In fact, Jeremiah 6.16 says this. Listen to this. This is what the Lord says. Stand at the crossroads and look. 
Ask for the ancient paths. Ask where the good way is and walk in it and you will find rest for your souls. Circle some of these words here. Stand. In other words, everyone, all of us. Again, it doesn't matter who you are, where you're from, stage of life, nothing. Everyone is gonna face a crossroad. Everyone's gonna come to a place in in their life where they are faced with a decision to make where you gotta take a stand, one way or the other. And then uh, circle this word, circle stand, and then circle the word look. I think it's a reminder there to just kind of honestly take a look at where both paths will lead. I mean, so often we come to a choice or decision to make, and I, I think we never ever look at where the consequences of that will go. But every decision has consequences. So instead of focusing on the immediate, on the convenient, the easy, I think this is a reminder to to look a few steps down the road and see what the future might hold that if if you make this decision, if you continue to live this way. And then circle the word ask. Ask. Ask somebody else who's been down the road before. Ask them what the consequences were for their life. Learn, learn from their mistakes. Just find somebody. That, you know, they don't have to be a, a, a far away, you know, ahead of you, but maybe just a few steps ahead of you in their journey and just ask them to help point the way. And then he says, walk, move forward. Listen, at some point, you know, you got to get out of the boat like Peter did. You got to step out in faith. You got to take that risk and go God's way or not. But let me be clear today, okay? Following God and doing life his way is not always easy. And I think we do, you know, new believers, new Christians a disservice when we paint this picture of, man, you follow Jesus and all the rest of your life is just easy peasy. No. But what will you find there? Well, go back to this passage. It says, you will find rest for your soul. You'll find life. You know, that fulfilling, complete, abundant, adventure-filled life that we talk about all the time here at Coastal. You know, one of the verses we we talk about all the time, John 10.10, Jesus said, the thief, the world's way, the thief's purpose is to steal, kill, and destroy But Jesus said, my purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying what? Life. That's ultimately what you will find if you go the way of Jesus. Now Jesus, in fact, used a similar metaphor in Matthew chapter 7. Listen to this. Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. But small is the gate, and narrow is the road that leads to what? Life. And only a few find it. So what was Jesus trying to say? I think he's just trying to paint a very clear picture here. He's saying, listen, there is the world's way, and there is God's way. And the world's way is wide, and initially it's it's easy to travel, And you can go with a lot of people because a lot of people are going to choose to go that way. But he says, ultimately, listen, it leads to your destruction. 
And then there's God's way. It's narrow. Sometimes it's hard in the beginning. But ultimately, it leads to life. Now, you know what I think happens to many people when they come to these crossroads of life? I think for an awful lot of people, right then and there, and let's just use another, you know, road trip, you know, highway, uh, you know, uh, language. Uh, uh, he said, I, I think a lot of them face a roadblock right there. Just a huge roadblock that kind of keeps them uh, from ever going God's way, an obstacle. Now think about it just for a minute. Do you ever face an obstacle or a roadblock when you go the world's way? No. Of course not. I mean, is there really anything keeping you from following after the, the way of the world? No. It's a wide road. It's an easy road, Jesus says. But for an awful lot of people, right off the bat, there, there is this, this roadblock, this obstacle that keeps them from going God's way. And I think there's a lot of different roadblocks we could talk about today, but I want to mention two this morning. One roadblock is your past. Or maybe more specifically, I could say your past rebellion, okay? In other words, you come to this crossroads and a lot of people think, man, there's no way. I, there's no way I can go God's way here. I mean, first of all, he would not want somebody like me. I, I've made way too many mistakes. I've chosen to go my own path way too many times. I've suffered a lot of consequences. I, I'm damaged goods. I, I've done so many things that I'm ashamed of. There's no way he would want me. Okay, so that's, that's one obstacle that a lot of people face. Maybe some of you are right there right now. But another roadblock that we don't think about too often, but I think is just as effective today in stopping people from really having a personal relationship with Jesus. It's religion. And I think it's really just the, the other side of the same coin. Okay, follow my, my thinking here, okay? So one side of the coin is, I'm too bad. You know, I've done too many bad things, my past, my past rebellion. But the other side is, I'm good enough. And man, I think we see that a lot today here as well. You know, I'm good enough. I, I go to church. I've done some good things for God. You know, I'm, I'm better than my nasty, wicked coworkers and neighbors, right? You know, on a scale, you know, I, I'm, I'm religious. I was raised in church. But listen to me. I think the problem is ultimately still the same. You don't know God. And, and that becomes an excuse or a reason. In, in other words, you don't have a personal relationship with Jesus. There are two sides of the same coin that both keep us from finding our way back to God and living for him. Rebellion or religion. Rebellion and religion. Now, if you're here today and you can relate to either one of those roadblocks, any one of those obstacles on the road to, to, to life, on the road trip of life, guess what? Today is for you. I think we can all relate to either one of those. We typically fall in one of those categories. Someone who just thinks they're, they're too bad, or some people who think, well, I'm good enough. So today, here's what I want us to do. I'm excited because we're gonna look at a man in the Bible who had a horrible, Horrible past, and yet he was also very religious. And both of those roadblocks had gotten in the way of him ever living for Jesus. And yet if there's anybody in the Bible 
that made a complete U-turn and then literally changed directions in the middle of a literal road, it was this man. So his name was Saul. Now, not Saul from the Old Testament, the king of Israel, but Saul in the New Testament, who later becomes Paul, becomes an apostle, and later a writer of more than half of the New Testament. Okay? So let me set the scene by giving you a little bit of uh, background on this guy. Saul was a Pharisee, and he believed that he needed to kill Christianity because it was a threat to Judaism. And he actually believed that he was doing God's will by wiping out the followers of Jesus. In his mind, believers in Jesus were nothing more than heretics. And if he did what he could to stop this new religion, then maybe, just maybe, God would ultimately bring the real Messiah to Israel. So Saul was very religious, well-educated, ambitious, and yet he was absolutely full of hatred and bitterness. And you can see an example of this in living color in Acts chapter 6 and chapter 7 in the life and the death of Stephen, one of the, the followers of Jesus. And you, I, I would encourage you maybe to go home today and to read the, the whole account for yourself, but I want to highlight some of it this morning, beginning in Acts chapter 7, verse 55. Again, this is the account of the, of the killing of Stephen, Okay? But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed steadily upward into heaven and saw the glory of God. And he saw Jesus standing in the place of honor at God's right hand. So this is when he's, he's getting ready to, to give up his life, okay? And he told them, and he told the people that are gathered around him, look, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing in the place of honor at God's right hand. And then they put their hands over their ears and drowning out his voice. They didn't want to hear what he had to say. With their shouts, they rushed at him. They dragged him out of the city and began to stone him. The official witnesses took off their coats and laid them at the feet of a young man named who? Saul. And as they stoned him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And he fell to his knees shouting, listen to this, Lord, don't charge them with this sin. And with that, he died. Saul was one of the official witnesses at the killing of Stephen. Oh my goodness, what a powerful image here. I mean, you can kind of see Saul just standing there with a look of, you know, just smug disgust on his face. In fact, it goes on to say, a great wave of persecution began that day, sweeping over the church in Jerusalem. And all the believers, except the apostles, were scattered through the regions of Judea and Samaria. Now, I actually love this passage of Scripture. Now, I don't love it because of its graphic nature, the persecution. I love it because of what God chooses to do in the midst of all this, in the midst of the persecution. I love how God takes something very horrible, very terrible and negative, and he turns it into a positive. Now, how in the world is this positive? Well, it's positive because we're told here that the believers begin to flee, and they take off on different roads, we're talking about road trips today, on different roads into Judea and Samaria and Damascus, and what are they taking with them? They're taking the good news of the gospel. They're taking their faith, their faith in Jesus, and they're spreading that good news. Now, 
Saul, the, the murderous terrorist, he goes after them. He wants to hunt them down. Verse 3, it says, But Saul was going everywhere to destroy the church. He went from house to house, dragging out both men and women to throw them into prison. You know, we, we'll read these little, little verses, and I think sometimes we, we miss just the graphic, violent nature of what's happening here. So as the believers are being persecuted, some, again, flee to the city called Damascus a city about 200 miles away out in the desert. And I'm sure they actually thought to themselves, okay, whew, we're going to be safe out here. No one's going to come out to Damascus, but Paul does. He wants to hunt them down. Look at chapter 9, verses 1 and 2. Meanwhile, Saul was uttering threats with every breath and was eager to kill the Lord's followers. So he went to the high priest and he requested letters addressed to the synagogues in where? Damascus, asking for their cooperation in the arrest of any followers of the way that he found there. Who are followers of the way? Jesus said, I am the what? The way, the truth, and the light. He wanted to bring them, the Bible says, both men and women, back to Jerusalem in chains. Wow. In fact, in Acts 26, he describes what he was like in his own words and what he did. He said, authorized by the leading priest, I cause many believers there to be sent to prison, and I cast my vote against them when they were condemned to death. Many times I had them punished in the synagogues to get them to curse Jesus. I was so violently opposed to them that I even chased them down in foreign cities. I don't think it takes an awful lot to see that Saul was a despicable human being. This guy had innocent blood on his hands. He was a murderer who, who was against people whose only crime was that they believed that Jesus was who he said he was, the Messiah. So when you look at Saul in his past, we're not talking about just a little minor character flaw here. Paul was very, very religious, but he had no relationship with God. He thought he was doing God's work, but he wasn't doing God's will. You know what? Believe it or not, I think that might describe some of you today. Outwardly, you might be religious. You know, when talking to people, you say, oh yeah, my, you know, my great-grandfather was a minister in the Methodist church, or I was raised in church, and maybe you come to church periodically. Maybe you even serve from time to time, you give some here and there, but you know that in your heart, you're still far from God, that you really don't have you know, a, a growing personal relationship with Jesus. Back to, Acts, uh, back to Acts chapter 9, verses 3 through 5. As he was approaching Damascus on this mission, okay, to hunt down these followers and bring them to death, a light from heaven suddenly shone down around him. He fell to the ground and he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And Saul, Saul responds, who are you, Lord? And the voice replied, I am Jesus, the one you are persecuting. He literally saw the light. 
That day, he discovered that he was a sinner in need of a Savior, and the Savior, Jesus, was actually alive. On his way to arrest other people, Jesus arrested him. God shot a, shot a laser beam of light from the throne room of heaven, and Paul hits the dirt. Imagine how he must have felt. I mean, he, he's been certain that he's been doing the right thing and, and all of a sudden, he hears a voice that says, why are you persecuting me? And Saul asks, who is speaking to him? And I mean, the response must have shaken him to his soul. He thought Jesus was dead, and all of his followers were idiots and wrong. And then he hears these words, I am Jesus, the one you are persecuting. By the way, don't miss the connection here between Jesus and the church. What is done to followers of Jesus is done to Jesus. Because the church is the what? We are the what? We are the body of Christ. And so when a believer is persecuted, when a believer is hurt, Jesus feels it. He takes it personally. So in verse 6, Saul is now told to go into the city of Damascus where he's going to receive further instructions. So he gets up from the ground and he opens his eyes, but guess what? He can't see. And so the people that are with him literally have to take him by the hand and lead him into Damascus. Oh my goodness, what a picture here. I mean, this tough terrorist is now being led around by the hand like a helpless child. In fact, verse 9 tells us that he's so traumatized that he doesn't eat or drink for three days. In the darkness of this moment, in the darkness of his sight, he realized just how dark his soul was. In the darkness of sight. I, you know, I'm sure he replayed, replayed these choices that he had made you know, over the, over the next 72 hours. And he starts remembering, I'm sure, ways in which he had wronged God and persecuted, you know, God's people. So the Lord now appears to a follower, another follower of Jesus by the name of Ananias in a vision, okay? Now, interestingly enough, his name, Ananias, means God is gracious, and he's about to find out what grace really means. Because he's told to go to a particular house and ask for a man named Saul, who he will find there, praying. Now I think Jesus uh, tells Ananias that Saul is praying in order to help Ananias see that, hey, Saul's conversion is real. Now, Ananias responds the way that any one of us would have responded. Jesus, are you crazy? I mean, that's basically what he says. He says, listen, I've, I've heard about this guy. We know what this guy is doing, what he's been doing, you know, what he's done to your followers. And now he's come to our city to do the same thing. Ananias doesn't want to even get close to Saul because he doesn't trust him. He doubts whether or not this is real. And then the Lord repeats the command. Verse 17. So Ananias went and found Saul. He laid his hands on him and said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road, has sent me so that you might regain your sight 
and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Verse 18, instantly something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he regained his sight and then he got up and was baptized. Saul went from darkness to light, from not being able to see or understand spiritual truth to having the eyes of his heart open. Now, I also want you to know something very important here. Saul is saved and then he is baptized. He is delivered and then he is baptized. How about you? Jesus did it. He commanded it. We see the example all throughout Scripture. People are saved, and then they get baptized. They go public with their faith. And wow, what, what, a, you know, what a public opportunity for this man here. What about you? I just want to ask you, what are you waiting on? Next Sunday, 5 p.m., I'll be at the beach. You be there too. If you, if you have given your life to Christ, if you have declared that you are a follower of Jesus and you've not yet been baptized, what are you waiting on? All throughout Scripture, this is the pattern. 5 p.m., Folly Beach County Park. Join me. Sign up today on your Connect card. So Saul's life, it is immediately changed. He goes from being a destroyer to being a follower, from being the leader of the anti-Jesus movement to being a missionary for Jesus. I mean, this is amazing. Acts 9, 20 through 21, it says, at once he began to preach in the synagogues that Jesus is the Son of God. All those who heard him were astonished, I love this, and asked, isn't he the man who raised havoc? Circle that, that, those two words there, that little phrase. Raised havoc in Jerusalem among those who call on his name. So people are astonished. Because they remember this is the guy who raised havoc in Jerusalem. Anybody ever say that about you? Hey, isn't, isn't he or she, isn't that the person who used to raise high and holy hell in high school? You know, in college? And now they follow Jesus? You know, anybody ever say that about you? And now, you know, isn't that the person who used to, but now they follow Jesus? Listen, as we look at Paul's story, at his road trip. I think you might be tempted to think today you don't relate. Okay, I can't relate to this, you know. I'm not a Pharisee, you know, I'm not a murderer, you know, uh, all those things. But I, I, don't think, I don't think so at all. I think this is a great, great example for all of us today. In fact, look what Paul writes later on in 1 Timothy 1. He says, this is a trustworthy saying and everyone should accept it. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, and I am the worst of them all. But God had mercy on me so that Christ Jesus could use me as a prime example of his great patience with even the worst of sinners. Then others will realize that they too can believe in him and receive eternal life. Paul refers to himself as the worst of sinners. And yet, Jesus displays his unlimited patience and grace and saved him. I think that's an example for you and me. How? Two ways. First of all, Paul's U-turn shows that you can be saved. 
you can be saved. Listen, it doesn't matter who you are, what you've done, how you've been living, the choices that you've made. You, you might be rebellious or religious. Either way, you can be saved. You know, one of the reasons why I love the Bible so much is that the Bible isn't filled with a bunch of goody two-shoes. The Bible is filled with just real-life people, many of whom live terrible, terrible lives. And yet God intervened. He got a hold of them, and he changed them. And Saul is just one of many examples of, of men and women who had terrible pasts, who were transformed, who were changed. You see, Paul's U-turn also shows us that anyone can be saved. You see, sometimes I think we're kind of like Ananias in this story. Have you ever lost hope that a family member or a friend could ever come to Jesus you know, they, they've gone too far. It's been too long. Listen, I, I, I really, really respect those of you who have been faithfully praying daily, praying for somebody for years, for years to come to know Jesus, for years to step out in faith. Listen, just as Paul, just as Paul was saved as an example for you and me, guess what? You, you have been saved as an example for someone as well. For whose sake have you been saved? Listen, don't give up. Don't stop praying. Don't stop loving and serving. Man, you keep showing people what a follower of Jesus looks like. And then when those opportunities come, when those open doors present themselves, listen, just speak up. You know, speak up for Jesus. Share your story. Share your faith. And you just consistently invite them to a church like Coastal where they're going to hear about the good news of Jesus. Because if Paul, if God could save Paul, he could save you and he could save anyone. So I'm going to cut to the chase. I want to ask, what about you? What about you? Are you saved? Listen, this is the crossroads. You're not here by accident. You're not here by mistake. God on high is drawing you to himself and he brought you here today, either in person or online, and this is the crossroads. Stand. Look. Ask. And then walk. But you gotta walk. You gotta move forward, you gotta make a decision. Listen, to keep not deciding, it is to decide. And it's very clear, Jesus said it. You can go the wide road or you can go the narrow road. But you gotta make a decision. Listen, and don't use your past as an excuse any longer. If Jesus can save somebody like Saul, he can save you, he can save me, he can save anyone. Have you at some point repented of your sin and trusted in Jesus for your salvation in him and him alone? Do you have a personal growing relationship with Jesus? Has he changed your life? Has he transformed you from the inside out? If the answer to any of those questions is no, then let me tell you something. You're not saved. 
So are you rebellious or religious? Neither one gets you into heaven. Respond to God today. If not, he might have to do something dramatic in your life, just like he did to Saul, and knock you down so that he might pick you up. But you don't have to wait for that. Today, just like on the road to Damascus, when Paul saw that light, Jesus is here and he is calling your name. Respond. Bow your heads and pray with me. Are you ready? Are you ready to be saved? If so, please pray along with me something like this. Lord Jesus, for too long, I have kept you out of my life. I admit that I am a sinner and I cannot save myself. Today, I repent of my sin by changing my mind about the way that I've been living. And by faith, by faith, I accept your gift of salvation. Thank you, Jesus, for coming to the earth. With all my heart, I believe that you are the Son of God who died on the cross for me and my sin, and you rose from the dead on the third day to prove it. Thank you for bearing my sin and giving me the gift of eternal life. I believe your words are true, and I accept I accept you into my heart today. Be my Savior, my Lord, my forgiver, my leader. I surrender all of my life to you today. And what about you? Those of you who have already made that decision today, who have you been praying for? Listen, don't give up on them. Don't give up. Please pray this prayer with me right now. Lord Jesus, I commit blank to you. Say their name in your heart. I commit this person to you. You came to seek and save the lost. Break through their heart right now with your love. God, if you need to do something in their life in order to get their attention, then do it. Remove the spiritual blindness and may your Holy Spirit do his work of conviction so that he or she will be saved. I claim the truth of 2 Peter 3, 9, knowing that you don't want anybody to perish, but all to come to repentance. I know that everything is possible with you. Father, help me not to lose hope. Give me the patience and the perseverance so that I can keep living the life of faith before them, loving and serving. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Amen. Thanks for listening. From Pastor Chris and the family at Coastal Community Church, have a blessed day.